When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the Janice Dean Podcast. Today's guest is someone who I've known a long time, but don't get to visit with too often because he lives in D.C., and of course, I'm based in New York. A couple of weeks ago, when I was testifying in front of Congress for the nursing home tragedy that happened here in New York three years ago, I decided to reach out to Chad Pergram to see if he had some time to sit down and say hello. He met me in the press office and then took me to his own office where we started talking about his career and the business. After our meeting, I asked if he could come on the podcast to share some of his stories with all of you. He did not disappoint. So here is my fun and informative conversation with our senior congressional correspondent, Chad Pergram, on the Janice Dean podcast. Chad Pergram, you made today's Dean's List. Well, thank you for having me, Janice, and, and, and good to see you in person last week, and now we are seeing you on the radio, as they often say. Absolutely. Now, you had your career started in radio, yes? Yes, exactly. I started uh, to work an intern at a radio station in Cincinnati. I'm from southwest Ohio, about an hour and change north of there, and when I was in high school, I just was a kid who was interested in TV and newspaper and radio, and I just started calling around to different stations to see if they would let me in the door, you know, to have an internship. And WKRC Radio in Cincinnati, there's also WKRC-TV um, and WKRQ-FM, they were all in the same building in this wow. big hillside that looks over top of downtown Cincinnati. And, uh, and so finally, one day, they, they thought I was in college. And the woman who was the intern coordinator, a woman by the name of Nia Carter wasn't there. And since she was she was resigning a couple weeks later, she kind of got me in and then nobody knew anything about me. And I would just show up there every day after school about 3.30. And next thing I know, they let me work intern for a couple uh, of months and then they put me to work. So That's awesome. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, if you have a dream and you want to pursue it, you got to do stuff like that. I did the same thing. Yeah. I um, walked into a classic rock station on the invite, I think of a salesperson that I had met at uh, another, I think at a restaurant party or something. And I had told him, I said, oh, I'm really interested in getting into radio. And he said, well, why don't you come to visit me at this classic rock station? So I walk uh -huh. in and, you know, just meet everybody uh, in the newsroom and just started to come in every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, well, you, you know, 90% you know, of life is just showing up, right? It's yeah. so true. Um, but, but that's the best way. I always tell students who are getting into this business, the best way to do it is by volunteering to intern and get to know people in the industry. Right, exactly. And that was the main thing that I would just show up and be there and ask questions. And I, when I was an intern, I would go into the studio, the news studio, which was different from the control, and just mess around with the equipment, <laughs> figure out how the, in those days we had something called cart machines. Oh, yes. Cart decks. Yep. And, and, and dub them off. You know, another thing, and this really plays into dealing with the debt ceiling. Now, one of my first jobs there, so I was in charge of 
you know, basically, you know, I, I, I don't, I was in charge of anything, but just doing production, you know, so I would, I would dub some of the news spots, some of the actualities, the sound bites they would play. So the markets would close at four o'clock and by 4.30, they would want a market report on the air during the uh -huh. 4.30 newscast. Yep. So there was a guy who's still a friend this day, who I kind of got this guy into radio, a guy by the name of Chris DeSimio, Chris DeSimio, who was a stockbroker, and he had just started. And, and my job was to take in his report and get it dubbed and run it into the control room just before the, and it was, all, it was as an 18-year-old kid, it was very stressful because it was really cr crunching on the deadline between when the markets closed, he had to write it, and then you got it written and take it into the studio. So... One day, I didn't, you know, I'm 18 years old. I don't know anything about the stock market. And so I just called him and I said, can we just talk? I want to learn more about this. And I went to see him at his office and he kind of explained things. And here we are dealing with the debt ceiling. You know, this is 36 years later and something I've always kind of taken an interest in and know a little bit about. It's not a, a primary of expertise, but is the markets and how obviously dealing with the debt ceiling and things may or may not affect the markets. And that goes back to learning that, you know, from those conversations back in the 80s when I was in high school with that guy who did the stock report. And now you say that you're not, you know, well versed as a lot of people who are in that industry. But Chad, come on. I mean, you know a lot of things about a lot of things. And when people want to, you know, pick your brain, it's, you're you're a smart dude. You know, well, a, a, I mean, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what a debt ceiling was. Thank you. <laughs> what, do, you, do, you want me, do you want me to brief you on it? I could, I, I could you know, we were joking uh, you know, the other day. They said, that, you know, I've been covering the debt ceiling so much. I said, I'm pretty sure that will be on my epitaph. He oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, when it comes to the economy and, you know, money and that kind of thing, whenever there's someone on television, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Well, you know, here's here's the thing when you're dealing with financial stories or very tough congressional technical things. I don't get to do this all the time, but once in a while, I'm able to have a little bit of fun with something and kind of make it interesting. I try to. You know, I have done stand-ups where I was explaining the strength of Congress in my neighbor's weight room where I was pumping iron and using that as an example. Ah. Uh, so, something we did just a few weeks ago, and I give a lot of credit to my photographer, Dallas Hill, who I'm working with here today, too. So, you know, everybody, you know, was hearing about the debt ceiling and just put them to sleep is everything. I said, I don't care. So I had I had I did the back half of the story where I interviewed some scholars and some other people about the, the consequence, very serious consequences about the debt ceiling. But to draw in the, the viewer at the, at the beginning, I said, OK, I, I want, there was a cot. OK, so the place in the Capitol where I do my my stand ups is down in the basement of the U.S. Capitol. And when you see me on the on the TV side, that's where I am. So after the riot uh, in January of 2021, the National Guard was here. And among other things, they left over because they were sleeping in the building for weeks. So there was a cot from the National Guard that was left over. And it sat in the back of this room where I do my stand-ups for two and a half years. So I wrote the piece and I had my photographer and he really staged it very well, Dallas Hill. He brought in a lamp and we had a little nightstand. And so there's this cot and it looks like the place where I do my stand-ups. And so I start out as though I'm sleeping. And I wake up and I kind of stretch and yawn. And I'm like, you know, you know, you know, you talk about the debt ceiling, you know, that makes everybody yawn. But it's anything but a sleeper. And ah, then we go into the rest of the story. You very see, nice. So, so, so anytime you can make, you know, you, I think as a reporter, and, and you can't do this every day, but you can take these very complex stories and draw the, the viewer or the listener or the reader in. And sometimes you do those little, quote, stunts, but that's 
that's what gets people's attention. And then hopefully you get them hooked and maybe they, they learn something. Let's talk about daylight saving. Because <laughs> when I was in D.C., uh, you and I had the discussion about daylight saving and how you think we're close to getting rid of it, which was yeah. just like a Fox News alert to me. <laughs> so tell me why you think that. And also... I know you told me that you don't like to give opinions on anything, but that this this story actually might lean you in the direction of giving your own opinion. <laughs> yes, yes. The, the, that, this might be the one issue that I take a little bit of a, a political stance on. So, so the Constitution, let's go back to the Constitution. The Constitution gives Congress uh, the power over weights and measures. So that deals with time. Mm. And over American history, there have been times where they have passed legislation, 1966, the Uniform Time Act. They passed things in the 19th century with the railroads. You know, all of a sudden you had to worry about, you know, there was consistency in time. You know, time used to be kept just kind of you go into any town and it was whatever it was on the local church clock or, or, or town hall clock or something like that was the time. But there was an inconsistency in this. And so this is where they started to regulate time. Janice, there have only been 112 successful veto overrides of a presidential uh, veto in the history of the country, and one of them was on a piece of time legislation. Okay. There was a dispute back after World War I, which is the first time we kind of shifted the clocks to wartime after World War I to save money, uh, save time, save day daylight, all those types of things. So they shifted it, and there was a dispute between the Congress and President Woodrow Wilson at the end. And so he vetoed their bill to shift the time back and he, they overrode his veto. I mean, think about how rare a presidential wow. veto is. So what has happened over the past few years, you might've noticed about, oh, 20 years ago or so, the amount of time that we spend on standard time in the winter, so October to March shrunk. Uh, it now is from about November until March. We used to go from about October to April. It was about six months and six months. And that was because of an energy bill that Congress passed about 20 years ago now. Not quite 20 years, 2004, somewhere in that neighborhood. So there has been growing pressure over the past few years. President Trump alluded to this when he was in office, something he wanted to get rid of. And it's not so much that they would get rid of daylight saving time. They would pick one or the other. Mm. And some of the energy has been toward daylight saving time, which is what we're on most of the year now. Now, some people in northern climes and southern climes and in the western areas of time zones or the east, you know, depending on where you are, sometimes it affects them more adversely or posit positively depending on the time of year. So last year, something very surprising happened. And there's always been a bill, most, most Congresses, to deal with this issue. The bill was from Marco Rubio, and it would basically put us on standard time, excuse me, daylight saving time year round. Mm -hmm. And in the Senate, you can pass anything. You know, if you get all 100 senators to agree to something, you can pass something. You know, they don't take a roll call vote. There's something here on Capitol Hill called a hotline, okay. which so everybody doesn't have to be around. But, but so long as all 100 offices have been cleared, then you go down to the floor and you, you do it by unanimous consent. But if somebody objects, just you could have 99 people for something and one objecting, then you're stuck. Okay. So Rubio goes down to the floor and we thought there was going to be some debate. And they asked unanimous consent. And the next thing you know, they passed it. They pa the Senate <laughs> passed the bill and it shocked everybody. And Kirsten Sinema, now the independent senator from Arizona, she was a Democrat at the time, was presiding. And she does this. She puts her hand. It was like after she scored it. She goes, yes. You can hear this like stage whisper. Touchdown. 
Yeah, exactly. So they never took it up in the House. But just the fact that they moved that issue through the Senate, you know, it takes a lot of years sometimes, Janice, for issues to ripen on Capitol Hill. Okay. Think how long it took them to do, whether you like the bill or not, Obamacare, you know, uni- mm-hmm. quote, universal health care. That was a debate back in the 90s. It even goes back to Nixon and even back to F- FDR in the 30s. It finally ripened and they passed, you know, the health care bill. Uh, other issues don't take quite as long. I remember talking to Norm Dix, who was a congressman from Washington State, and I asked him, I said, what's the most intractable issue that you've dealt with? He said, I've been here 30 years, and he said, there was a fishing rights issue in my district. We just got it worked out. It took 30 years. <laughs> so I don't think this is going to take 30 years, but the fact that they passed that bill, uh, you know, that usually gives hope to some that they might move it in the other body. It's kind of like, you know, the old Life cereal commercials, you remember with Mikey? Yep. And none of the other kids would would eat the cereal. And once Mikey ate it, then all the other kids would eat it. Yeah. Congress works that way, too. So the Senate has eaten the bill. They, they're like, oh, yeah, we like it. And so at some point, probably in the next, I would say, three or four years, maybe less, they probably will settle on something with either daylight saving time or standard time, and we won't be switching the clocks. Oh, my goodness. That is amazing. Because you and I both agree that if we ever went into politics, that would be the one thing we ran on. That might be the one issue I would run on. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. So then what happens? We have to wait three years, but why can't, as a public, what can we do to rush this issue? Well, you know, I mean, if people, I mean, it's like anything else, you know, call advocate. Mm. Um, You know, it was interesting that in, um, so, you you know, Marco Rubio, he got got a little bit of flack from some Jewish organizations in his state, because again, during the the Jewish Sabbath, you know, and and if, you know, if you adhere strictly, uh, you know, you don't use transportation, you walk, you know, all that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. And so, you know, when for Shabbat, the problem was that they felt like they had not been consulted because this was going to affect them adversely because of the time of day they were going to have to do things, hmm. it, you know, because it's all about when the sun comes up, when the sun comes down. And so that was influencing this. And I remember asking Senator Rubio last year in an interview about that, if because if, if there were some, some Jewish groups in Florida who were not pleased with this or didn't feel that they had had enough say. Uh, it's amazing how political this issue is. There is a political party in Australia that is devoted to this issue about the t- about the time in Australia, because, and it's kind of the Florida of Australia because that's the area where they are. Because again, they want to, you know, take advantage of as much sunlight as possible. Oh my goodness! Well, I listen. I am kind of for it, a hundred percent for it. But <laughs> I'm willing to hear other opinions on it. How about that? Yeah, yeah, and and and, and there's this affects everybody in some way because even if you change it. Certain part, the downside is certain parts of the country will get, you know, more sunlight in the morning at an absurd hour. Right. And less sunlight in the evening and vice. You know, it kind of depends on where you are. But for the most part, I think we can all get behind passing this bill. Well, in the fall, it drives. I mean, I love it in the fall because I get an extra hour. You know, years and years ago. Okay, so this is kind of funny. So I used to work at NPR and uh, once or twice a month, I would anchor the overnight newscast on the weekend. That was my part of my assignment. And so I always made sure that I was on the schedule for the 
Yeah, for the spring one. Uh, because, <laughs> Go ahead, because, yes. Because rather than doing six newscasts, I only had to do five. And in the <laughs> fall, the time change. you had to do seven versus six. Yeah. And so I always made very, very strategic. Nobody picked up on what I was doing, but that's how I would always oh, volunteer yes. for that weekend in the spring and make sure I was off the schedule in the fall. Yeah, yeah absolutely. When you work early morning shifts, you really like that spring mm-hmm. ahead. Yep. Uh, tell me about the haunted cat in the halls of Congress. Aha. Well, this is something that I have never seen, but there's a legend up here. You get a 200-year-old building, which is the U.S. Capitol, you're going to have ghost stories. And that's exactly what this is. Uh, Supposedly, the demon cat, which is just a gigantic, overgrown house cat, (laughs) lurks around the Capitol and supposedly shows up at times of national emergencies. Allegedly, people have seen him or her here late at night before Lincoln was assassinated, before Kennedy was assassinated, before 9-11, some other national emergencies. I've been in every square foot of this Capitol at all times of the day and night, and I've never seen a thing. <laughs> okay. So, but if you look, so there's an area that's slightly on the Senate side of the Capitol called the mini rotunda. And if you stand against a pillar a certain way and you look you can see these tiny little paw prints around the edge. This is outside the old uh, uh, Supreme Court chamber. And this is where some people say that's the demon cat. So there's a guy up here by the name of Steve Livengood, who is the chief guide of the U.S. Capitol Historical Society. And I asked Steve one time, I said, Steve, you've been up here longer than I have. Have you ever seen anything? He said, oh, yes, I see things all the time, Chad. (laughs) And I said, really? I said, tell me more. You know, I want to hear. And he says, well, I usually see them after receptions and I've had a couple of glasses of wine. And (laughs) Steve concluded that apparently I don't drink enough. So he said, but the demon cat signed its name. I said, really, Steve? So if you go over way to this obscure small staircase in the uh, northwest corner of the building on the Senate side, there's a staircase there. And in the concrete you see the letters D.C. And Steve says, well, that's the demon cat signed his name. And I said, now, Steve, that could be District of Columbia, (laughs) Direct Current, (laughs) Detective Comics, you know, demon cat. I don't know. But supposedly that is the legend of the demon cat. I love it. I know you told me that story and took me through it and it was fabulous. Now, you have worked in that region for a very long time. And do you give people tours when they come in? You know, I do, you know, sometimes impromptu, Um, you know, during COVID, obviously, the building wasn't as open. Um, I didn't have much of an opportunity to do that. You know, certainly after the riot, that was another consequence up here. But this is my place of work. This is where I come to work. I'm fascinated by this building. There's always something I see. And just a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a a staffer from a new member. And uh, we were just trying to get together to, you know, say hi for 15 minutes or 20 minutes and just get to know one another a little bit better. And she had two people in from the district. And I had some time. I didn't have a live shot for about an hour. And so I took them around several places around the building. And I was glad I kind of got to do this. The, um, my junior high, where I went to school in Ohio, uh, they were in town for a regular tour. They, you know, do a spring trip. Again, they hadn't done it for a couple of years because of the pandemic. And that's in order again now. And so I got to show some of them around a little bit. I actually brought some students down to where I do these live shots. These are eighth grade from Edgewood uh, Junior High School and middle school in, uh, just outside of Trenton, Ohio. 
And so I got to show them around a little bit. So that was kind of fun. But I do do that from time to time. And hopefully now that things have eased with, with, with the pandemic and the building is wide open again, for the most part, yeah, I like to do that when I have time. Yeah, you had some time and you gave me a, a little bit of a tour through the through the neighborhood. Um, and you talk about the fact that not only is it, you know, an historical place, but it's like a museum, too. In every little nook and cranny, there is history. Yeah, there's statuary. There's statues that have tales. There's artwork that has tales. There's, there's just amazing paintings sometimes. You know, Constantino Brumidi, he is kind of considered to be like the, the painter of the capital. And he had worked at the Vatican. And think about this during the 19th century. You didn't have anybody at the Capitol, or very few people in the United States, who had that level of expertise. I mean, he painted at the Capitol. And if you go through the Remedi corridors on the Senate side, and you look at uh, you know, the loggia at the Vatican and some other things, you, you, you start to see his style of painting, and you see it reflected in what they've done at the Vatican. Um, one of the, in fact, one of my favorite quarters, and the light just has to be right. It's usually good in the fall or the you know late winter, like February or so, about five thirty, six o'clock. It's over by the Senate Parliamentarian's office, and just the way the light comes in at the building to the building at that time, and the way the thing is lit, it's one of my favorite places in the Capitol. And and so one of the great stories about Bramidi is there's a room. Now he painted mostly on the house side. He painted the Apotheosis of Washington, which is the painting that is uh, looking down from uh, toward the rotunda floor from the top of the Capitol Rotunda inside. But then so they brought him over and they said, well, show us what you can do. So there is an office on the House side. This is very close to the whip's office for Catherine Clark, the Democratic whip from Massachusetts. And it's just a conference room. And they said, Mr. Bramidi, paint the ceiling, which he did. And it's basically his audition. And so it's hit and you go in there and once in a while, and I got to do this a couple of days ago, there was a, somebody who was with me and I said, here, just a second. And sometimes the door to this room is locked and sometimes it isn't. And it turned out it wasn't locked. So I just walked in and we, I showed my friend, uh, you know, the, the upstairs or the, the ceiling of this. I said, this was the audition from Constantino Bermuda. Uh, he, he, he made his point. They said, you're hired. And so he painted many things here at the Capitol. That's amazing. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Now, take me through your day. You know, just to get you on the radio here for a few minutes is tough sometimes because your, your day is constantly fluid. Yeah, this place has no beginning, no middle and no end. Uh, it just kind of happens. Congress just kind of happens. I mean, and it's not driven by when Congress is in session. Uh, congressional news could break at any time, you know, I just, and you'll appreciate this, you know, I was talking to, there's a new delegate from Guam and they're about to get hit by a big typhoon. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of concern there. And so that office had come to me and said, hey, you know, we're concerned about this, the, the delegate, he can talk about this on the air. So, you know, so even though that's, I mean, now that's not gonna be, you know, the first thing I'm gonna deal with each day, but, but I said, you know, there's a place for that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, on Fox or Fox weather, you know, so I'm kind of facilitating those things. Uh, this past weekend, for instance, you know, Congress was not in session. These debt ceiling talks blew up, but I was kind of semi on call um, all the time. You know, I, I said if something really big breaks, I can come in or I can jump on the air from home. Uh, Congress always is just happening. You know, there's been times where they're in session and there's nothing of importance going on here. But you don't know each day if it's staking somebody out or if it's a hearing. 
or maybe, you know, I mean, I, I remember, you know, this, was, this goes back to 2011, um, Geraldo Rivera and I broke the story on the air that uh, Osama bin Laden had been killed. Hmm. Uh, and, and that story came out through the hill because the hill is always dialed into something. It kind of goes back to my experience in, in Cincinnati and Southwest Ohio, Janice, as a local reporter. And if you covered the sheriff's department, the best stories about the sheriff's department would come out through the county commissioners. And the best stories about the county commissioners would, or the, or would come out through the road department. The best stories about the road department would come out through the water department, you know. And so you get to know all these people. And it's kind of the same on Capitol Hill. The best stories about the House come out through the Senate. Uh, the best stories about, you know, this committee over here come out, comes out through this other committee over here. So you're always kind of dialed in. So, but I, I, get, I get in in the morning. And some days, you know, we know that there's a dedicated story that's that's going to consume all of the news oxygen, like the debt ceiling. And so sometimes I might have a live shot or two very early on. Uh, sometimes if I'm writing a package for a special report, which airs at 6 Eastern, Brett Bear's show, that makes it a little more complicated because you, you have to get that story written by about 3.30, 4 o'clock, maybe 4.30 if you're really pushing it, depending on things. But you're also juggling live shots during the day. And I don't have as much time to go out and report, you know, because, you know, you might, you know, you're writing a piece and then you have to do the stand up. And so you're constantly crashing through the day. Um, I do. A, and, and it's all, here's the other thing, too, that's important. There's a lot of press conferences that happen here on the Hill, but that's not where we get all of our information. Sometimes I find the most um, helpful aspect is just I kind of walk around and talk to people most of the time just off the record. Mm. Uh, there's a member who I was talking to just the other day who's very dialed in with the GOP leadership and I kind of talked to him. In fact, in fact, I, you, you'll appreciate this because this deals with the architecture of the building. Um, I, I ran into this member in Statuary Hall of the Capitol, which is the old house chamber. And we started to have our conversation and I said, no, 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 come over here. We're off the record because Statuary Hall has what they call an acoustical effect. Ah. Whereas you can be standing at one point in the room and the way it, it, the, the sound uh, travels over top of the, the, the semi-dome that's in that room, you hear it across the room. Mm. And, and sometimes I've, I've been standing in that room and I, it literally sounds like somebody's standing right behind me and there's nobody there because they're all the way across the room. And so I said, let's go over here way off to the side because of this room. And the member understood that too. So a lot of the stuff that I get, the information, is off the record. And so I would rather just have, you know, those things off the record. But, but the day-to-day -day stuff, Janice, I always compare it to like being in uh, the Olympics. You know, I come in today, they say, okay, today is the 100-yard dash. Okay, I can do the 100-meter 100 100 dash. Okay, no problem. Okay, today is the mile. Okay, today is the hurdles. Okay, today is the shot put. I come in here some days, and yesterday was a little bit like this, frankly, because of the debt ceiling. I come in and they're like, okay, today's luge. All right. I, I, I can do luge. I haven't done luge in a while, but yesterday was definitely luge. And in fact, I think I think yesterday was skeleton, which is if you if you know the the Winter Olympic event, skeleton is kind of like luge, but not yet. Not, so like not traveling yet. really fast. It's just the idea that it's such a different discipline. Oh, OK. Yesterday was sometimes it is fast, but, you know, you have the standard issue field events, shot put, javelin throw, you know, we're, okay, we're, we're familiar with those. And then you get something a little more eclectic, you know, equestrian or something, you know, because uh, yesterday we were chasing, the speaker spoke multiple times at the Capitol. Uh, he was going to go down to the White House. He came back and spoke at the Capitol, even after he had spoken at the White House. 
uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, and Catherine Clark, who I mentioned earlier, uh, the whip, they were going to have a press conference uh, at the Capitol, and then they decided to do it outside on the fly, and just the logistics of getting that. <laughs> Yesterday was luge. Yes, trust me on that. It was, it was, it was kind of messy. And I think when we get into a big story like the debt ceiling, most days will be luge. Yeah. Uh, still, debt ceiling, wah, 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 wah. I know, I know that if anybody... I'm going I'm to wake you up off the cot here and get you involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you know, you know what's funny? Let me just talk about that for us, if you don't mind. Sure. You know, it, you know, so years ago, and I'm a radio guy, and so I was always drawn by stories that can draw you in. And, and sometimes in the radio, on, on radio, the only element you have is sound. Right. And so if you can use what they call in the industry natural sound or ambient sound, that will draw you in. And there was a guy uh, who worked years and years and years ago for CBS and for NPR by the name of Robert Krolwich, who was the economics correspondent. And he did a story, and I remember listening to this in graduate school, and I said, this is the this is, this is really how to tell these tough economic stories. He would put... Uh, 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 hamsters on a, on the tr the little wheel they have mm -hmm. in their cage, you know, to demonstrate the economy heating up. He did a story on interest rates as though it was an opera. Rato interesso, he called it, not interest rates. Um, and then there was a guy who I worked with in Cincinnati, so I told you about WKRC. Over on the TV side, there was a guy who was a mentor to me by the name of George Chicarone. Um, who actually worked for Fox and worked uh, you know, uh, several other places in the industry, worked with some of our former colleagues in, in New York, uh, but George was just the best feature reporter I've ever worked. He could take anything, uh, he, could, he could make a story out of nothing, meaning just something that was kind of featurey and just, you know, run with it. And so I learned so much about him, from him, about, you know, trying to do these, you know, fun stand-ups when applicable and understanding that that will draw the listener or the viewer in. And mm -hmm. so, you know, those, I, I, Robert Krolwich, unfortunately, I've never had the chance to meet, but George Chicarone, I just saw him a few months ago. He's, wow. he's still around. And the job still excites you. Absolutely. I wouldn't come in here um, every day if I wasn't excited about it. I mean, there are days that are hard. There are days that are long. Last Friday, because of the debt ceiling, I was here at about almost 10 o'clock uh, because they had a, a bad day with the debt ceiling. But, you know, I'm, you know, this is what they, what you sign up for. This place is, you know, sometimes I've said it's kind of like the Hotel California. You can <laughs> check out any time you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> but, uh, but I have to say, I, I will say this because I think this is important. Um, the riot in January of 2021 was hard. Hmm. Uh, it was hard on everybody who works here. I mean, I was on the air for 17 hours straight in the basement. We barricaded the doors. It, it changed the culture of this building. I know a lot of people who left and resigned, staffers who were hiding in broom closets and things mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, I came back to work the next day and the day after that and the day after that. But that was hard, you know, to, you know regardless of your, of your political view, to have, the, have something like that happen in your place of work, mm -hmm. you know, workplace violence, uh, and, and it be the capital, no less. Um, there's a wound on me from that, mm. uh, but I'm here every day and I love this building and I love covering Congress, the good what, and the bad. What would you be doing if you weren't doing this, do you think? Well, I, <laughs> in, 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 in high school and college, and the reason I wound up at WKRC was because I was interested in news, even at 17, 18 years old, and was, was very interested in that, but I was also, like a lot of 17 or 18-year-old boys, very interested in sports. And WKRC carried the Bengals games at the time. 
and I would drive my little, you know, Chevy in and park next to Boomer Esiason's, you know, uh, Jaguar, you know, because, you know, in the parking lot, you know, that sort of thing. And because he would be on one of the shows or something uh, back in those days. Uh, but I have gotten the opportunity to, um, I did a play, I did a, a, a broadcast with uh, a friend of mine, John Walton, who was the radio voice of the Washington Capitals. And one of his guys was out a few years ago. And so I did, they have three guys in the booth. They have John does play-by-play, -play, somebody else does color, and then somebody else does like the pregame and postgame shows and then the returns during, from each break during the game, each commercial break. And so I filled in there and it was great fun. Uh, and in fact, John and I on Fox Sports uh, will be telecasting the congressional baseball game in mid-June. They play at Nats Park. The Democrats play the Republicans. Fox Sports carried this last year. I was the field reporter. I was down in the dugout last year. Uh, this year, uh, John will be doing play-by-play, -play and I will be doing color. And so I would probably be, do be doing sports if I didn't do this. It's, it's kind of similar, actually, but I, that's probably what I would be doing. That's awesome. Well, listen, I know you have a busy day. What a pleasure it is uh, to talk to you. And I'm so glad that we bumped into each other in D.C. Next time I'm there, we're going to go to lunch, and you're going to show me where the paw print of the demon cat lies. Would love it. Absolutely. Would love it. <laughs> Thank you, Anytime. my friend. Thank you, Janice. Thank you, Chad Pergram, for spending time with us today on the Janice Dean Podcast. Chad is really someone who loves his job and is so good at what he does. You can see him all over Fox News and Fox Business, and he's also told me he's doing some reports for Fox Weather, too. That's how I find out about the daylight saving story we talked about. He enjoys covering it all, and we will certainly have him back on again. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.